listening to The Union Edge, Labor's Talk Radio. For more information about the show, go to theunionedge.com. The Public News Service Daily Newscast for Friday, February the 2nd, 2018. I'm Mike Clifford. Today could be the day the much-talked-about GOP secret memo is released. That despite continuing objections from the DOJ and the FBI. We take a look at sex trafficking at the Super Bowl. Is it a myth? And a Texas program aims to make communities healthier. Now our top story, the Washington Post quoting an unnamed presidential advisor as saying, there was never any hesitation. The president was resolved on this. He was not going to be persuaded otherwise. He wanted it out. At issue is the memo written by Devin Nunes and his staff, which was first seen by President Trump on Wednesday afternoon. The Post says that General Kelly, the chief of staff, offered his opinion to Trump that releasing the memo would not risk national security, but that the document was not as compelling as some of its advocates had promised Trump. Both the DOJ and FBI are on record objecting to the planned release. It's being called a surprise victory for voting rights advocates. A federal judge has ruled that Florida's current system for restoring voting rights to people after their release from prison is unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge Mark Walker said the process used by Florida's Board of Executive Clemency to decide how a person can get their voting rights restored violates the Constitution, both the First and Fourteenth Amendments. John Sherman with the Fair Elections Legal Network challenged the Florida process. He says the court agreed the state doesn't have the right to disenfranchise or deny voting rights in these cases. What it did hold is the means by which Former felons are forced to jump through hurdles and beg uh, the executive clemency board, the governor, the attorney general for their rights. Uh, that process is unconstitutional. The rule doesn't immediately restore voting rights to people who have been incarcerated for felonies. Judge Walker ordered further briefing from all parties in the case to determine the appropriate remedy. I'm Tremel Gomes. More than one and a half million Floridians are unable to vote due to the state policy of permanently disenfranchising people convicted of a felony. Meantime, Eric Teganoff is here to tell us big money dominated the 2016 elections in Oregon. That's according to a new report. The Oregon State Public Interest Research Group, or OSPERG, found about 720 individuals and businesses contributing $5,000 or more collectively donated nearly $35 million to candidates and ballot measure campaigns. In contrast, more than 31,000 people who gave $250 or less donated $2.5 million. That means large donors outspent their smaller counterparts 14 to 1. State Representative Diego Hernandez says he has experienced the effect large donors have on elections. He says when he decided to run, he thought he could focus on the issues and voters. But it turned out that a lot of my time had to be spent also fundraising, <laughs> which is time taken away from having to go door-to-door, talking to constituents. And so it definitely is something that impacts the election process. The report also found large out-of-state donors outspent small in-state donors 10 to 1. Hernandez says these imbalances end up hurting candidates of color and women who run for office, since they typically don't have a network of wealthy donors at their disposal. And as you prepare to watch the Super Bowl this weekend, you may not know that the game has commonly been regarded as the single largest human trafficking incident in the country. Mary Sherman tells us that claim is now up for debate. As a sex trafficking survivor, Teresa Flores founded the SOAP Project. It stands for Save Our Adolescents from Prostitution. She explains the answer might be found online where most sex trafficking business occurs. 
Numbers don't lie, and if you go on and check it, you'll see it for yourself that they advertise Super Bowl special or football fan. So it's very much driven by the event. With a big game in Minneapolis this year, the Women's Foundation in Minnesota commissioned research on the matter. Co-chair of the Super Bowl Anti-Sex Trafficking Committee, Terry Williams, explains they discovered that while there is an uptick in trafficking in a host city, it is no more than any other major public event. Using that, we really brought our advocates together and law enforcement and all of those folks to say, all right, we know this is an issue 365 days a year. What is our response going to be leading up to and then beyond? The foundation is also developing a model of their human trafficking awareness efforts to be used for future events and shared with other cities. And finally, Mark Richardson reports some community clinics in central and southeast Texas being asked to improve health, not just health care, in their areas. A new grant program aims to help the clinics address the underlying conditions in their communities that cause health problems. The grants from the Episcopal Health Foundation total $10 million. Lexi Nolan with the foundation says the Texas Community-Centered Health Home Initiative will focus on eliminating the root causes of chronic conditions and poor health. A lot of our clinics are focused on issues related to overweight, food insecurity, active living. We have a clinic that's focused on adverse childhood events. So there's a range of issues, but these are common problems in lots of communities. She says the four-year program is investing between $160,000 and $500,000 in each of 13 urban and suburban clinics. To develop programs that improve both individual patients' health and entire neighborhoods, the clinics will partner with community groups, government agencies, schools, and businesses. Under the initiative, each clinic creates and implements an action plan tailored to its community with the foundation providing training and technical assistance. That's our news for now. Have a great weekend. I'm Mike Clifford for Public News Service, member and listener supported, and online at publicnewsservice.org. You wanted to be a teacher when you were little, but you grew up and things changed. Well, it's time to put it back on your list. Innovative things are happening in teaching today, and you can be a part of it. Make more. Teach. Visit teach.org. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Hello, welcome back. I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Laborers Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We appreciate you hanging out with us for the afternoon. Uh, folks, just a little bit of uh, admin. Um, this is going to be our last regular daily program for a little while. Uh, we're going to continue to do radio, but um, we are uh, a little bit concerned with the way things are going with uh, Janice versus AFSME. Just like uh, all the internationals, Fundraising is getting a little bit tight, but uh, we're going to continue to do uh, the things that we can do to support labor all across the country. And still joining me today from uh, Workers Independent News, uh, Doug Cunningham. Doug, welcome back. Hey, Charles. Listen, I am sorry to hear that you guys are going to be uh, going off the air at least for a while, although you're still going to be active in other areas of radio. Uh, labor media like Union Edge and like Workers Independent News, which went off the air on November 17th um, uh, for a hiatus, I hope, just a hiatus, uh, we've had some real challenges over the years. But you guys have hung in for 10 straight years. Uh, at Workers Independent News, I hung in there for 13 of the 15 years that Wynn had, had been broadcasting on a daily basis. And our mission, and I think you would concur with this, is our mission has been to focus on working people, to raise up the voices of working people, to examine what's happening to working people in this country, and to advocate uh, for a good deal 
for working people in this country, and and that is sorely needed in the Absolutely. media landscape these days. You know, and, and Doug, I got to say this: uh, between the two of us, we get 23 years in studio with me today. We've also got uh, Angela Bachman, who's been with me with the Union Edge for eight years. Angela, hey. And uh, also Brittany Sheets, who's been with us for five years. Um, hey, everybody. Get, getting it done. Hey, Brittany. And, you know, and I got to tell you, you know, um, while we're not happy with what the current environment is, um, I believe that we and you and others out there have moved the needle. We have educated the not yet but soon to be union public. I understand that many of the internationals are very concerned about Janice versus AFSME. But I got to tell you, from both a business end and from an organizer end, now is not the time to quit. Now is the time to continue to talk to the public, educate the public, talk to our members. You know, it's the old deal. I'm out of AFGE. And every day was organize, represent, communicate. That's all there is to it. Every day with every member. That's right. You you got to act like a union, and if you're in a union, you've got to support your union. And I don't care. You know, we talked about Janice versus Asmi. That's a Supreme Court case that's going to be decided soon that could really impact union funding all across the United States. And I tell you what's a, an inoculation against that, all right, a vaccination against that, is that workers themselves have got to understand how important your union is, how important your right to come together in an organization and advocate for your interests and for working people's interests. That's extremely important. Labor rights are human rights. They are civil rights that every American ought to have. Everybody living in this country ought to have that freedom. And then we mm -hmm. have been under relentless assault for decades by billionaires and by corporations who want it all. They want all the wealth, all the power. And you know, if you're listening to this program and you're a working person, you know your family has been impacted by this environment. And Charles, you're absolutely right. Now is not the time to quit. I'm not gonna quit. I'm talking to several people around the country to try to bring back workers' independent news uh, as quickly as I possibly can. We'll see if that can happen. I still have to explore that possibility, but none of, the, none of us are quitting that are in this movement, and nobody should be quitting because this movement is righteous. We're on the right side of history, and we need, we need policies in the United States that support working families and not just the billionaires yeah, and corporations. Absolutely. You know, and, and later on, we're going to be talking with uh, Charlie McAllister. Everybody knows Charlie. He's on with Rosemary on, on Tuesdays for an hour, hour and a half with us. Um, but Charlie is one of the uh, leading labor historians here in the United States. He, he was a professor at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Um, he has a Ph.D. Um, he's written the book, the, the Point of Pittsburgh, and it's not talking about the confluence of the three rivers. It's talking about labor and where we've been. And, you know, quite honestly, Doug, within 10 miles as a crow flies from where this studio is today, union, union members, union people were shot and killed by mercenaries that, the, that, that companies hired. I mean, we have dealt with far worse than what we are looking at today. And okay, even if membership drops by 10% or 25%, guess what? We know how to build. We know how to build mass. We know how to build unions. We just got to roll up our sleeves and get it done. If 
you look at the history, Charles, you're absolutely right about that. And if you look at history, this movement is not stoppable. All right. It can take body blows. It can take dips in membership. It can take decades of attacks and attacks and attacks. And we can be hurt by it. We can take those punches. We can feel that pain. But it always comes back. And why does it come back? Because working people are the bread and butter, the salt of the earth of this of this country and of this world. Working people have an unquenchable thirst for justice, for a fair deal for your families, for our families. That's what we're advocating. Nobody's up here. I certainly am not, and you guys have not been advocating for some just limited special interest group out there. We're fighting on behalf of all working people in the United States because we do the labor. We do the work that makes this country run. Everybody knows that in their gut that works for a living. When you show up at work, you know that it's not the wealthy, the super rich, that are, that are the backbone of this country. We are. We're the backbones, and we need to be treated fairly and with justice. And there's an unquenchable thirst for that. And there's a and and you know the civil rights movement has a word for this, a phrase for this: keep your eyes on the prize. No matter the no matter how dark things might seem at any given moment, no matter how dispirited you might be when you take a, a blow, a blow and a punch from corporations or from other enemies of working people, we know that we are on a quest for justice, that we're on the right side of history, and we always come back. And if you look at history, if you don't know the labor history, if you're out there listening to us right now and, and you don't really know about the labor history in this country, you need to delve into it and check it out, because Charles is absolutely right. Working people faced bombs, guns, thugs hired by corporations when we tried to assert our rights in the early days, and we've come a long, long way since then. And labor has made a lot of progress despite all these attacks, and labor will always be here. And the labor movement will always be here. But we need the support of the greater public and the politicians that are elected to represent us right. to really be strong and really to thrive. And, and, and Doug, you know, I, I want to tell you, our, our studio is full today. And we've got a lot of great people coming in. But i, I got to tell you, uh, three out of the five people here in the room right now are young millennials. Yeah. And they get it and they understand it. And, you know, Charlie and I are definitely old guys in the room, just like you. And um, <laughs> you speak for yourself about uh, that. Yeah, old yeah, thing, yeah. Man. <laughs> so, uh, but the long and short of it is um, the movement continues. Yeah, it's a difficult time, but we're not done. That's all there is to it. There are times in history when it caught fire, when it really caught fire, okay? Speaking to the young millennials for a moment, if it looks bleak to you right now, this should hearten you. Because there are times when it just movement just caught fire in the 30s, for example, and into the 40s and 50s, huge organizing wins, huge victories, huge uh, policies passed that supported working people. And we grew when that happened. And wages went up and benefits went up and, and, and all kinds of positive, great things happened for working people. And that is still possible in this era. And none of us are giving up, even us old folks, quote unquote, right. are, not, are not giving up on this movement. And the young millennials, especially, and you're absolutely right about that, you do polls. They support labor unions, and they are the future. And you've got a lot of energy to give, and I urge you to not abandon the movement. If you're young oh, and you're, you're yeah. out there, don't abandon this movement. Right, absolutely. And, Doug, of course, as you continue on with Workers Independent News, anything we can do to help, you know, we've get, we're still here. We're still working. We're uh, still doing what we can do. And uh, we look forward to helping in any way we possibly can. 
I appreciate that, and I appreciate all the things that you've done over the years, Charles, both for just your program, what you've done for working people in this country, and how you've contributed, and how you've supported me and my work with Workers Independent News over the years, too. I'm talking to people in New York and Chicago and, 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 and California, lots of places around the country. We're trying to put this back together again and come back at them even harder and stronger. So good luck to you guys, whatever you end up doing, and, uh, and thank you so much for the opportunity to have participated in your program all these years. There you go. That was uh, Doug Cunningham, Workers Independent News. I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Labor's Talk Radio. In a surprise victory for voting rights advocates, a federal judge has ruled Florida's current system for restoring voting rights to people after their release from prison is unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge Mark Walker said the process used by Florida's Board of Executive Clemency to decide how a person can get their voting rights restored violates the Constitution, both the First and Fourteenth Amendments. John Sherman, with the Fair Elections Legal Network, challenged the Florida process. He says the court agreed the state doesn't have the right to disenfranchise or deny voting rights in these cases. What it did hold is the means by which former felons are forced to jump through hurdles and beg uh, the executive clemency board, the governor, the attorney general for their rights, uh, that process is unconstitutional. The rule doesn't immediately restore voting rights to people who have been incarcerated for felonies. Judge Walker ordered further briefing from all parties in the case to determine the appropriate remedy. Sherman says the ruling is expected to make the process easier for people to regain their right to vote after they have served their time. He calls the current system unfair for leaving the clemency board with unfettered discretion. Someone will be denied for a speeding ticket uh, one day and then the next hearing someone will be granted despite having a history of speeding tickets. Someone's granted uh, despite alcohol use, another person's denied for alcohol use, and this is the problem with the process. There are no rules. More than one and a half million Floridians are unable to vote due to the state policy of permanently disenfranchising people convicted of a felony. In November, voters will decide whether to amend the state constitution to change that. The ballot measure to allow the automatic restoration of rights to those who have completed their sentence will require a 60% yes vote to pass. For Florida News Connection, I'm Tramel Gomes. It was 1973. Helen Reddy's song, I Am Woman, was at the top of the charts. The feminist movement was in full swing. A group of Boston women office workers started talking about how they were treated at work, how men made more money for the same jobs, how they couldn't take time off to care for their kids without putting their jobs at risk. They were feisty, empowered, and fed up. They founded 9to5, a membership organization of women working in low-wage jobs, inspiring a national hit song and movie. Whether it's fighting for better leave policies, for equal pay for equal work, to ban the box or strengthen the safety net, 9to5 is on the front lines of putting our issues on the public agenda, and they're winning big. Find out more about how they're raising the bar at www.9to5.org. That's the number nine, T-O, number five, dot org.
While college and university tuitions go up and up, higher education administrators have been spending less on students' education. Today, only a quarter of higher ed faculty has secure full-time jobs. The rest are so-called adjunct faculty, hired on a per-course temporary basis, often with no benefits and are paid just $2,700 on average per course. Dedicated adjunct faculty across the country are joining together and fighting back in defense of their students' future. In Pittsburgh, they have formed the Adjunct Faculty Association, affiliated with United Steelworkers Union. Adjuncts and students all over the city are joining the AFA to achieve the goal of providing high-quality, affordable higher education. To know more or to support Pittsburgh's adjunct faculty, give us a call at 412-562-6967 or find us on the web at usw.org. Again, that's 412-562-6967 or usw.org. Together, we can take higher education back. Hello, welcome back. I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Laborers Talk Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in. We enjoy your company. Hey, uh, special thanks to uh, Operating Engineers Local 66, Jim Kuntz. Uh, Jim has been stellar for uh, Labor Radio for the last decade. And uh, I want to thank him and his members for doing all kinds of wonderful things. Also, I want to thank uh, Leo Gerard and the United Steelworkers also, a lot of great work for us and a lot of help. We appreciate that very much. Um, in studio, we've got more people in studio. Uh, some friends have stopped by. But um, right now, let's talk with uh, Charlie McCullister. Charlie, welcome back. No, sad to be here, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, Charlie, we've been in this together. And for those who don't know, and I've said this a couple of times, I've had the honor of uh, being able to talk about this in the public. If it was not for Charlie McAllister and IUP's uh, labor management program uh, and their early contributions to the Union Edge, we never would have made it. Um, See re- what you started? <laughs> a I decade. He's going a to troublemaker. A, he always has been. Yeah. Your radio station and it's about the size of a closet. In yes. North for sales. Yeah. And <laughs> um, you know, and the owner Bob Stevens. Uh, many thanks to Bob Stevens, the owner of WKFB. Um, started off one hour a day, noon till one. My God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at our high point. 36 radio stations all told probably north of 40 42 uh, that we've been on and off um and uh, you know it's if you would have asked me could we have pulled this off no no i i wouldn't have thought we did but um many thanks to everybody that's been involved with this and and i'm going to try not to name everybody because i know i'll miss somebody and i don't want to offend somebody but to everybody who's been involved but charlie i mean right now the problem is is uh, labor unions are they're really holding on to the purse strings they're concerned for sure they should be and 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 it's a, a difficult time but i mean we have been through worse as labor sure Absolutely. I mean, virtually the union movement collapsed it. By the end of the 20s, uh, the mine workers, which had been huge, had dropped uh, down under 100,000. They had 400, three or 400,000 at uh, around the end of World War I. Uh, other unions were being broken. Attacks on the building trades in the early 20s were really severe. Uh, it was a dark time. And, of course, the changing of a political uh, climate, as it were, in 1932 with Franklin Roosevelt, 
the uh, unionization swept the coal fields, uh, penetrated into the towns of the valley uh, where heavy industry was, and we saw an incredible upsurge up to the point where by 1939, every single member of the Pittsburgh City Council held a union card, either AFL or CIO. And these... These were going on in times when we didn't have national laws to protect unionization. In some places, it was illegal to be a union member. Absolutely. And still... You had coal and iron police roaming right. uh, the countryside and had uh, governmental powers without governmental restraints at all. Uh, they had judges, obviously, then and now, which were bought and, and paid right. for. And so in the in the countryside and in the mill towns, uh, it was pretty grim. In the 1919 strike, it was estimated that uh, the corporation had 25,000 armed men in the Monongahela Valley uh, to control. Uh, the working class population. So virtually all the professional class, obviously all the management were armed, deputized, again, having state power, being basically hired by corporations. So, yeah, things were pretty rough back then, and let's hope we don't get to that stage, but uh, some things indicating today (laughs) seem to indicate that we may get, uh, things may get even worse before they get better. But isn't that the dogfight we've been in for the last decade or two? to try and stem the tide, try and get it reversed before it gets back to that point. Absolutely. That's exactly what we've been trying to do. And I, you gave a shout-out to Jim Kunz, and i got to add that because uh, Jim has been a, really a stalwart supporter of this program. And, and here's a guy that, you know, he, he gets a lot of his work from the gas and oil industry and pipelines, right. et cetera, but he also... I've seen him at several programs listening to uh, Patty DeMarco and going right. to Rachel Carson things. He's a guy who really tries to understand, and he understands that labor has to listen to all opinions because things look one way now, but they can shift very quickly. And so we really give a shout-out, a tribute to people like him and like Leo Gerard right. who have been very open and, and engaged uh, in the education process. Absolutely. Also, I want to thanks to uh, others that are out there. We'll, as we're continuing through the show, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to talk about it. But, um, Charlie, I mean, we've seen it in the past. How did we overcome these obstacles in the past? Was it organizing? Was it community education? Was it what was it? Well, uh, they, go, they go hand in hand, obviously. You know, the, the famous article by A.J. Musty in the 1920s that we used to give all of our uh, negotiations workshop people was called uh, uh, an army, an army in town hall. And it mm-hmm. said that the labor movement basically must walk on two legs. On one hand, it's in a struggle for its life at all times because it is the real threat uh, to the, the oligarchs and to the accumulators of wealth and power. Uh, because it's rooted in people's working life, which you spend a 30-year time at work, and it's really critical to the survival of your family. But it also has to be a town hall, and that means it's both in the union has to have democratic procedures and outside has to talk to the community and be representative of the what people really want and need, which is good employment at decent wages that can support a family, give communities real long-term 
hope and uh, for survival and for flourishing. And uh, that's when the labor the labor movement did it here in Pittsburgh. Right. When, when by nineteen by the end of World War One, I, I always say that from nineteen forty to nineteen sixty. Real wages in Pittsburgh doubled, and I've never had anybody challenge me on that. But between the, uh, the union you know, wages being imposed virtually across the board in the town, uh, the GI Bill, which opened up extraordinary opportunities for ordinary for people, education. for education and for advancement and for professionalism, and then because the unions first got pensions and vacations uh, d- defined uh, the the professional classes in Pittsburgh got all those things in the 50s right. because of the unions getting right. them in the 40s. Right. <laughs> so we don't well, remember. The unions, <laughs> the unions are pushing from the bottom. Everybody yes. gets yes. lifted up. Yes. And that's a wonderful We're called thing. trickle down, but there's yeah. the, the real thing is pushing up. Right. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing. Um, Charlie, we're, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, uh, we've got a couple of guests and, uh, we'll introduce those de- guests and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But in the meantime, uh, Charlie, again, thank you very much for all your help over the years. And we would be remiss if we didn't also say special thanks to, uh, Rosemary Trump. Oh, no relation. <laughs> um, we'll and, talk about we her miss you more, wish yeah. you were here with us and uh, Rosemary thank you also for all the wonderful things you've done but in the meantime we're going to take a short break we'll come back and we'll talk with some more friends I'm Charles Showalter you're listening to the Union Edge Labor's Talk Radio the Colorado Independent Ethics Commission has created a set of rules for how the news media and the public can access its records, and it's getting some pushback about them. The proposed rules differ from those established under the Colorado Open Records Act, or CORA. Jeff Roberts with the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition believes the current state law should apply to the agency charged with investigating public officials accused of misconduct. The big question is, why should they be allowed to write their own rules of access to public records when we have this perfectly good state law that governs access to records for all other levels of state and local government? The commission's executive director claims it isn't subject to CORA because its office is now based in the Colorado Judicial Branch building. Judicial has not been covered under state statute since 2012 after a Colorado appeals court ruling. The commission's proposed proposal includes an option for making records available in print or digital formats, which conflicts with CORA requirements that agencies provide native digital files that are easier to sort and search. I'm Eric Galatis. Big money dominated the 2016 elections in Oregon, according to a new report. The Oregon State Public Interest Research Group, or OSPERG, found about 720 individuals and businesses contributing $5,000 or more collectively donated nearly $35 million to candidates and ballot measure campaigns. In contrast, more than 31,000 people who gave $250 or less donated $2.5 million. That means large donors outspent their smaller counterparts 14 to 1. State Representative Diego Hernandez says he has experienced the effect large donors have on elections. He says when he decided to run, he thought he could focus on the issues and voters. But it turned out that a lot of my time had to be spent also fundraising, (laughs) which is time taken away from having to go door-to-door, talking to constituents. And so it definitely is something that impacts the election process. The report also found large out-of-state donors outspent small in-state donors 10 to 1. Hernandez says these imbalances end up hurting candidates of color and women who run for office, since they typically don't have a network of wealthy donors at their disposal. 
Conley was the financial director for Twee Tran, a candidate for a House seat from East Portland who lost in 2012. Lee says the district is diverse, with immigrants and refugees who were engaged in her campaign but unable to contribute large donations. He says Tran also had to juggle being a small business owner. Frankly, she didn't have much time in terms of raise money, run her business so she has an income so she can live, and then outreach to her voters. So she had to choose. Charlie Fisher, state director of Osberg, says House Bill 4076 could help candidates like Tran and also empower small donors. The bill would provide a six-to-one matching program for candidates who agree only to accept contributions of $250 or less. Fisher says the program has worked in other places. The city of New York has had a small donor matching program for a while now, and it demonstrably increased the diversity of donors giving to candidates running for city office compared to candidates running without matching funds for statewide office. HB 4076 is scheduled for a hearing Thursday, February 8th. For Oregon News Service, I'm Eric Tegedoff. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you... Texting and driving? Allison, no. That's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison? Why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hello, welcome back. I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Laborers Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in. We enjoy your company. We appreciate all the great stuff you're doing for the community that's for sure a special thanks going out to uh well mike dunleavy ibw5 for supporting us for a number of years we appreciate it very much and our friends at appletreemediaworks.com that's uh katie dexter who keeps our website up and running and is the guru extraordinaire of all things web-based and uh, katie is an awesome individual we look forward to continuing working with her. In studio today, uh, Laura Weens. Hey. Laura, welcome back. It's great to be here. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And uh, many thanks to you guys and our friends with ATU85 for supporting the program. You guys got you guys have something going on. And, you've, and we've got Tom Hoffman with the Sierra Club on the phone. Yep. Tom, how you doing, hey. man? I'm doing good. How are you? Very Always good. It's a pleasure Very. to be on your show. It's always a pleasure, Tom. We appreciate it. You've been coming here so long. Um, you, you didn't have gray hair when you first started coming on the program. Yeah, I had dark hair. I, I now have a key to the executive washroom, right? Yeah, you know, what can I yeah. tell you? It's always a pleasure. <laughs> so you guys have something coming up. What's going on, Laura? Well, so up, uh, upcoming on Monday the 5th, there's going to be a National Transit Equity Day. It's been called by the Labor Network for Sustainability, of which uh, Tom Hoffman is a member of the advisory committee. Is that right? The steering, the steering committee. committee. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and it's a, an exciting opportunity that we, with P Pittsburghers for Public Transit and Sierra Club and the Amalgamated Transit Union, uh, Local 85, locally here in Pittsburgh, are collaborating on to say that um, transit is a, is a human right, is a civil right, um, and that everyone should have access to transportation, uh, that it's, a, it's an opportunity for worker justice, that the workers that are part of our transportation and, and public transit should absolutely be unionized with uh, safe and decent working conditions conditions, um, and, and that it's a, an important environmental justice issue in, like, in looking forward mm -hmm. to a, a, a sustainable future and one where we're tackling the crisis of climate change, that um, it's an important uh, factor that we should uh, consider um, investing in our public transit. Tom, as, a, as a, a representative from the Sierra Club, why is public transportation so important uh, environmentally? Well, I think there's, there's two major reasons. I mean, the more you get people out of their cars and into mass transit, the better it is for the planet. I mean, it just cuts down on um, pollution and, and carbon emissions and stuff like that. But we also have a, um, um, we have a new sign that says living wages on a living planet. And our, you know, at its core, a lot of the, the climate uh, problems are really ones of equity, and you know the Sierra Club really supports uh, people being able to make a wage, supports their families, supports their communities, and having transportation is just so critical to that. If people can't get to work, if people get pushed out of the downtown areas into these suburbs and then have no way to get to work, um, that's not that's not going to work for anybody. Absolutely. Laura, when it comes to convincing politicians to invest in proper public transportation, and it's it, proper, proper public transportation is never a profitable endeavor. It's got to be a, a, a governmental function. I mean, what's that like trying to convince the politicians to do the right thing? Well, you know, we would think that it's a no-brainer. I mean, frankly, there was a there was a Harvard study that came out a couple of years ago that said um, uh, the length of somebody's commute time is the single biggest indicator of whether or not a household can pull themselves out of poverty. So if you have folks that are walking for a mile or more to get to the nearest bus stop that then take the bus to a transfer point and then transfer onto a second bus, they are not going to be successful in, in uh, you know, in pulling themselves out of poverty and achieving living wages and, and and, um, you know, growing the economy locally. Uh, so we want to have a sustainable transit network um, within our region that prevents people from getting into cars, but allows them to get to their jobs and healthcare uh, and grocery stores and all the other things that you want a living city to to um, to encourage people to do. Um, and I just want to mention uh, quickly that part of the reason why this day was chosen was in commemoration of Rosa Parks. And for folks that um, may not remember from history classes as kids, uh, Rosa Parks Parks was a really um, important activist, civil rights activist, uh, who, she was a seamstress, but she was also an organizer with the NAACP. She broke the law by refusing to give up her seat in Montgomery, Alabama, and that kicked off a boycott of uh, the city's buses for 381 days um, with the black community in Montgomery, Alabama. And, um, and large parts of the white community, too. I, I would hope so. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's great. And a lot of what, you know, what 
I think a lot of people don't recognize is that it was not simply about um, being able to sit on a particular part of the bus. It was about having access to public transportation at all. Um, and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was talking, uh, you know, uh, in in a in a book that he wrote, A Testament of Hope, that urban transit systems are a genuine civil rights issue, and access to public transportation is so integral for people to be able to to live healthy and and productive and um, equitable lives. Tom, what else should we be thinking about when we're talking about this event? Well, you know, I think I think you hit a, a big piece of it is making sure that there's uh, money invested in this system because they can, um, without investment, they, you know, they just fall apart. They don't work for anybody. Um, and, uh, again, I think, um, you know, one of, one of the, Problems I see is that uh, you know the the, uh, uh, the system sometimes ends up serving ridership where the riders are and not really looking at where the rides are needed. You know where where are those communities that, like Laura said, that really uh, really need that transportation to lift their communities and families out of poverty, and we really need a transit system that's uh you know based on on that on need not so much uh where the current ridership is there you go um what is, is there a financial benefit from doing solid public transportation or is it all just environmental issues Laura? Yeah. Is there a financial incentive to, to have I mean, public transit? Does it, does it help the local community? Yeah, absolutely. Without without transit, I mean, folks can't get to where they need to go. Uh, you, you know, on average in the in the Allegheny County region, it's $8,500 $8, uh, a year to own a, a, a personal vehicle. So uh, that's prohibitive for a lot of households, not to mention riders with disabilities and seniors um, and youth. Um, to be able to access public transit. Um, and I just want to point out that it's, it's you talk about um, cities investing in public transit, it's not a profitable venture. Where we've seen real problems is where uh, cities have outsourced or privatized their public transit right. systems. And, and those public transit systems are, you know, often they're failing to buy new buses, running lines um, to places that need uh, buses the most. And, you know, and, and a lot of times the infrastructure gets really outdated uh, because those private companies are just looking out for their bottom lines. Right. And they don't do the maintenance. They don't do the upkeep. They don't do the improvements that need to be done. Laura, again, how do we find out more about the event? Well, so locally, we are, um, we're, we're running an op-ed, and we'll be sharing information about the national campaign. Um, but folks can look it up online. It's uh, Transit Equity Day uh, on the Facebook, and there's going to be um, uh, participating partners from around the country. And we encourage you to follow them, join locally in the cities that are, are having events, um, and, and continue to fight for, for transit justice. There you go. Tom, any final words? Um. You know, I think Laura sums it up really well. Uh, like I said, there's this uh, national network, Labor uh, Network for Sustainability, um, and they're, uh, it's this kind of issue where, um, you know, where the, sort of the nexus of environment, uh, you know, being good to the environment plus creating jobs, uh, both for 
people who drive the buses, but allowing people uh, who live away from where jobs are to get to their jobs. Um, that's the, the kind of issues that the Labor Network for Sustainability likes to focus on. And uh, again, I'd like to echo what Laura said, that this is in commemoration of Rosa Parks. I think her birthday is uh, Sunday. There you go. Tom, we appreciate it. Always a pleasure. We appreciate it. Laura, yeah. thank you. Laura, one more time, website? Uh well, you can go to our website at pittsburghforpublictransit.org, or you can find uh, more information about Transit Equity Day on Facebook if you just look that up. There you go. Meantime, I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Labor's Talk Radio. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66 works with builders and contractors to build a better community. Local 66's tradesmen and women have received the specialty training needed to meet the complex challenges of any project, making them the most capable workforce in the region. From schools, highways, and pipeline projects to casinos and arenas, the operating engineers build any job, large or small. For over 100 years, Local 66 has provided superior service that our community can count on. They are your one-stop resource for qualified and productive operating engineers and heavy equipment mechanics. To learn more about the benefits of organized labor and more information about the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 66, go to www.iuoe66.org. That's www.iuoe66.org. We are the BCTGM fighting for American jobs. Nabisco, maker of iconic snack brands like Oreo, Ritz crackers, and Chips Ahoy has made its fortunes in America, and its patriotic response has been to send U.S. jobs to Mexico. As a result, consumers across the U.S. continue to boycott their Mexican-made products. Corporate revenues are down across North America. Consumers are sending a loud, clear message. Now, religious leaders from all faiths across the U.S. are calling for an investigation into this Nabisco business model and have scheduled a six-city tour to look deeper into the matter. Just as the NAFTA negotiation are in the forefront, the faith community will begin to talk to workers, politicians, and other faith-based leaders addressing this U.S. jobs exodus by Nabisco from a moral and ethical perspective and widely publishing their findings. The BCTGM and Interfaith Workers Justice, its faith-based coalition partner, ask all people of faith and social conscience to join this fight against Nabisco's exploitation of workers in the U.S. and in Mexico. Millions are already not buying Nabisco products made in Mexico and it's already impacting their bottom line. Join our fight for moral and economic justice at fightforamericanjobs.org. Attention men under the age of 35. You know what really impresses the ladies? When a guy has a few drinks and later gets pulled over for buzz driving. That could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. There goes let's grab dinner and a movie. Oh, I know. You drive more carefully when you're buzzed. You've proven that hundreds of times. A woman admires that kind of confidence. And you've practiced how to speak if a cop does pull you over. Slowly, clearly, and politely like, good evening, officer. A woman admires that kind of foresight. And what woman doesn't find it adorable that you call it buzzed even though the law calls it drunk? 
you could kiss $10,000 goodbye, along with any chance of having a girlfriend. Because nothing says, I'm a catch, more than a guy who lives in his parents' basement and calls it my place. Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hello, welcome back. I'm Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge, Labor's Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you hanging out with us for the afternoon, that's for sure. Hey, this program is sponsored in part by the Seafarers International Union and the Maritime Trades. We appreciate their support. That music you heard was from Mike Stout. I'm not sure which album. Mike, which album was that from? Oh, I didn't hear. What song was it? I don't know. Angela? I wasn't even totally sure if it was yours because I only had the title, but I was like, I don't remember this one, so maybe it is. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it's somebody else's. What is this? Now, now it's, um, it's scrolling slowly. Now it's here. It's now it's here. Is that yours, Mike? <laughs> no. It sounded yeah. a little... What, what? Okay. I got 21 albums out. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> also in studio today with us... Do you need a teleprompter for your lyrics, Mike? <laughs> Too many to remember. <laughs> Also in studio with us, we've got John here. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Always a pleasure. So, guys, uh, Mike, you are down in Florida. I heard you're going to play golf at Mar-a-Lago. If I go go to Mar-a-Lago, it ain't going to be to play golf. I mean, you Uh, can still hit some golf balls. If I use if I hit some golf balls and use a golf club, it ain't going to be to hit any golf. It ain't going to be like to be playing any games. Okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, John, so, uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. What isn't going on? Okay. Well, we have, um, we have a battle of Homestead planning events that are, that are happening. That's taken up a lot of my time and we're looking at events for 2018 and we're following up on a tremendous, um, uh, involvement for, with, uh, community organizations that built our participation in our events last year. So we have a big mark to shoot for this coming year. And we're also looking back, I think here at, um, uh, Union Edge and some people that helped to make it, uh, 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 last to survive and grow for 10 years. And, uh, earlier you had, uh, mentioned and talked about with Charlie, who's here as well, uh, Rosemary Trump, and and um, uh, I wanted to throw in my uh, two cents worth because uh, 35 years of my work life in the unions were uh, working together with uh, Rosemary uh, as as our leader, as our president of our local mm-hmm. SEIU, and in the process, uh, she uh, organized uh, the state workers in Pennsylvania when they. Uh, uh, when Act uh, 192 or whatever it was came into uh, effect that permitted uh, public workers to organize in a new law in the state. She organized um, uh, uh, 10 to 15,000 state workers into two, into two uh, unions for social workers, state social workers, and also for people that worked in the unemployment offices. And um, she was the first woman in SEIU to be elected to the uh, board as a vice president, uh, the mm-hmm. National Board of, of Service Employees. And uh, she was one who never said, this can't be done. She, uh, she would, uh, always thought big and had uh, big enthusiasm and big support and goals and i learned a lot under rose and and 
all of her contributions. We've had the opportunity to hear her on the radio for the last five years or so with Charlie. And um, she's still going at it strong, working with us in the in the uh, uh, Battle of Homestead Foundation. And, right. And a tribute to her from me and from and from everyone as she's touched. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I've said this a number of times that uh, we here at the Union Edge have been very lucky. We've walked among giants, Charlie, Rosemary, John, and others. And um, yeah, the smaller they are, the bigger the bigger the effect they have. I think because we in this we start with Rosemary, it, then it, Charlie. And our, <laughs> even our favorite rocker wrote a rock song about her. You know, Mike. So, Mike, oh, yeah, uh, that one's in my list. Why didn't I play that one? I'll play it on the way out. Yeah, that that was like common sense there. Yeah. So, Mike, um, when are you coming back back home? Um, I'll be back in uh, mid-March, and I just want to say uh, I not only have been a long-standing, long-time uh, big supporter of the Union Edge uh, from day one, uh, but I want to say what an absolute catastrophe this is, uh, that you have to uh, close the airwaves down. And, uh, you know, I had uh, 38 years as a dues-paying member of the Steelworkers Union and 24 years uh, uh, dues-paying as a, in the Musicians Union in Pittsburgh. And the whole time I was in the union, the whole time I worked in the steel mill, all uh, I heard from the unions and all we used to uh, say constantly is we need to educate uh, the public on what unions are all about, and we need to educate the public on the need for unions and labor, organized labor in particular, but the working class needed a voice. And here we finally got a voice, uh, a voice not just for uh, organized labor, but a voice for the working class, a voice for the progressive movement, not only in Pittsburgh, but in this country, and we're losing that voice. And there's an old rock and roll song from the early 1980s. In fact, came out from in 1982, and the name of the song is "You Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone." And uh, I think this is this is just it's inexcusable. I feel as bad about this as when the steel mill was getting shut down. I feel like I'm in the I was in the middle of a song uh, on stage, and all of a sudden my voice went. And that's what that's that's how uh, devastating this is to me. And I, I really hope. The unions out there uh, will take note. I mean, to me, this is as important uh, having a public voice as anything else the unions are doing, because the public right now, the majority of the public, does not understand what unions are about, does not understand why we need unions. And this show gave organized labor and gave unions a voice. And losing that voice is just it's, it's a defeat. It's tragic. And I hope the unions will wake up and uh, rally once again and put you back on the air. And uh, I know I'll be right there on the front lines with them. And we appreciate that very much, Mike. And, you know, I have to say this for all of our friends that are out there listening today. Um, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a saying in the military, um, you never end a mission, you have a change of mission. And we're still going to be doing radio. We're going to be doing radio for other people. Um, we're going to be uh, uh, trying to convince our, our friends with all 50 state federations, hey, you know, do a little bit. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Do a little bit of radio. 
we'll you know we'll help you with that some of our larger locals in the communities we'll help them do it um we'll educate people on how to do it we'll and we'll provide support and uh technical assistance um this is not we're not we're not done um but we do have a change in on how we're doing it and mike i well, appreciate it I know you're not done, and I know, uh, and that's why even if I lost my voice, it, it would come back someday, uh, uh, which I never have lost my voice, uh, as people there will attest. But even if I did, I knew it would come back someday. And I'm just putting, I'm putting my two cents in out there to the the unions and to the progressive movement that Union Edge was everything that I dreamed it could be, and that we should be. And just the whole makeup, not just the fact that you came out of a military background and, and brought that uh, sense of organization and expertise to the labor movement and to the radio station, but look at your crew. Look at your cast of characters right. you have there. You you not only represent, in my opinion, what unions should be all about, but you represent what society should be all, all about. you got some of the best staff, the women that are really run the show there, and yep. for those of you that don't know it out there, uh, uh, the women do run the show, uh, and, and as they should in any democracy, uh, because they are in the majority of the uh, uh, progressive and the activists. And uh, you not only opened your door airways to uh, unions, uh, but you opened your airways to the progressive movement. And the progressive movement uh, I'm talking about is uh, the Patty DeMarcos of the world, the Thomas Merton Centers of the world, the environmental movement. Uh, you, you represented what we have been trying to organize and 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 all of us know out there that if if we're going to match up with the right wing and we're going to match up with the reactionary forces that are taking us down uh to back a, a century or two then we need the independents we need the progressives and we need the unions to come together and if they don't come together we're not going to win and your radio station and your voice epitomize that movement and uh i i strongly urge people out there to wake up uh individuals organizations and unions to wake up and get you back on the air where you belong there you go mike thank you very much for those kind words we appreciate it and you're absolutely right uh angela and, and Brittany and the others that have uh, been here for are the meat and potatoes of the operation um I was just the, uh, the the front voice, and, and quite frankly, I hope that my head never got so big that I couldn't get in at least a, du a set of double doors. So, um, well, if, if your head did get that big, I'm sure the the uh, women there would have put it back in. The yes, place. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that's why they are my most near and dear and closest friends in the world. Um, but with that said, you know, Mike, um, we know you're on vacation. Um, and we appreciate you uh, calling in today. And uh, when you get back, we'll we'll talk about uh, next steps. And um, uh, you're you're going to have to go back to work, man. Absolutely. What can I tell you? Well, uh, I think Charlie will attest. I never really ever go on vacation. Uh, I'm actually down here working on two books on the history with Charlie and I and Motion Marvett are uh, working on a history of the Tri-State Conference on Steel and the plant shutdown resistance that occurred in the 1980s. 
And also I'm working on a history of uh, local 1397 at Homestead, which was one of the foremost experiences in union democracy that I've uh, been and was a privilege to be a part of but read about. So uh, I might be down in the sunshine here, but uh, I'm hard at work. I never retire, and I always got the unions, and I always got the movement, and I always got our goals of uh, peace and economic and social justice at the top of my brain and the top of my spirit and the top of my agenda. Mike, that's where it should be, and we want to thank you for that, and we want to thank you for your many years of leadership in this. But I do want to say something else. Please send up about 25 pounds of shrimp. <laughs> I'm not sure there's that much shrimp left in the ocean, but uh, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Meantime, brother, we appreciate everything, and we look forward to seeing you when you get back home. Right. And we'll talk and my to you. Love to, my love to Angela, to Brittany, uh, to, to Laura, to all the uh, staff there uh, that are on board today, and to my comrades, uh, Charlie and John and Rosemary. I love all of you, and I hope we can get this thing back on track and get the voice back where it belongs on the airways. Yeah, we'll, A- amen. Amen to that, brother. We'll talk to you again soon. Meantime, Take I'm care. Charles Showalter. You're listening to the Union Edge Laborers Talk Radio. <laughs> 